0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Just because two things are similar doesn't mean they're the same. Yes, there are some similarities between the rapture and the second coming. One of the similarities is they both involve the appearance of the Lord. But that doesn't mean they're the same thing.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Christians are observing the violence and moral decay in our world and wondering, could the end be near? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress argues that while we can't know for sure what tomorrow will bring, we need to be ready at any moment for Jesus to return and gather His church. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffers. Thanks, David. You've chosen a wonderful day to join us. We're in the middle of one of the most
0: fascinating studies presented on Pathway to Victory. In this teaching series, Perfect Ending, we're digging deeply into the subject of biblical prophecy. Now, lots of people find Bible prophecy to be somewhat confusing, if not outright intimidating. And so, to help you gain a better understanding of what's ahead on the biblical timeline, I've condensed decades of personal study into a best-selling book titled, Perfect Ending, Why Your Eternal Future Matters Today. You see, as you become better acquainted with future events like the rapture, the millennium, and the tribulation, you'll begin to feel greater peace about the future. And it draws your relationship with God into the here and now as well. Plus, I'll also answer 10 of the most frequently asked questions about your eternal future in heaven with Christ. But that's not all. I'd also like to send you a visual tool that will help you grasp the key events in God's timeline. It's called The End Times Illustrated, A Panorama of Bible Prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. In this beautiful, full-color illustrated resource, I provide a panorama of Bible prophecy starting in Genesis and extending all the way through Revelation. Both these resources are yours, the End Times Illustrated, and my book, Perfect Ending, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. And we're going to repeat these details later in today's program. But right now, let's get our study underway about the rapture of the church. I've titled today's message, Not Left Behind. We're going to see what the Bible says about the rapture, and I think you'll understand why a rapture, a snatching away of the church, is both biblical and it's essential. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. It was the Apostle Paul who was given the task of explaining what was called a mystery, that Gentiles like you and I are going to be a part of the Abrahamic blessing. And that's what we find in Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 3. Look at this with me. "...that by revelation there was made known to me, Paul, the mystery as I wrote before in brief, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit." And what is this mystery? He says in verse six, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Israel has a hardness of heart toward Christ right now. Now, there are a few who are being saved, obviously. There are great ministries to Jewish people right now, but as a nation, they have a hardness of heart toward the gospel. But that's a temporary hardness of heart. The Bible says that this is a time when God has turned his attention away from Jews toward those of us who are Gentiles, giving us an opportunity to be saved. But this hardening is not going to be forever. God has one final period in history when he's going to give Israel a chance to be saved. That period of time is the last seven years on God's time clock. It's the time of the great tribulation. After every Gentile has been saved who is going to be saved, then God starts that countdown clock, the final seven years, called the tribulation. The rapture of the church precedes that seven-year period of time called the tribulation. Now, where do we find this rapture of the church? Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the most definitive passage in all of the Bible about the rapture of the church. A little background is helpful to understand. Paul was writing to the Christians at Thessalonica. They said, Paul, what about our loved ones who've died before the Lord returns? Are they going to miss out on the resurrection? And what about us? When do we receive our new bodies that God has promised? So Paul writes this letter, especially chapter four, to answer those questions about what happens to Christians who die before the return of the Lord. And what about us? When do we receive our new bodies as well? Look at verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Don't worry about your loved ones. God's gonna take care of them. Well, you say, how is God gonna do that? He describes it in the rapture of the church beginning in verse 15. What I want you to notice and jot down on your outline, there are four components of the rapture of the church. First of all, the descent of Christ. The descent of Christ. Look at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede. That is, we shall not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Paul is saying, don't worry about your loved ones who have died. God is so concerned about them, he's going to raise them first. We will not precede. We will not go ahead of the dead in Christ, those who have died in Christ. Verse 16, the first thing that's going to happen at the rapture, the Lord will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, the descent of Christ. Now, I want you to underline a word in verse 15, the coming of the Lord. Paul describes the rapture as the coming of the Lord. Now, this word coming is the Greek word parousia, and it literally means appearance. The coming of the Lord is the appearance of the Lord. So he says the rapture will be characterized by the coming, the appearance of the Lord, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. At the rapture, the Lord appears. Now, this same word parousia, is used to describe an event that happened seven years after this, and that is the second coming of Jesus. In Matthew 24, verse 27, Jesus said, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming, the appearance of the Son of Man be. Now, those who don't believe in the rapture, they say, aha, here is the smoking gun that shows that the rapture and the second coming are the same thing. There are not two comings of Christ we're looking forward to. There's not a rapture separated by seven years and then a second coming. Paul uses the same word, parousia, to describe both the rapture and the second coming. They're the same event. Is that true? You know, just because two things are similar does not mean they're the same thing. Dr. Ryrie, our friend and member here at First Baptist Church, makes that great point when he says that because things are similar doesn't mean they're the same. For example, my car has a motor. Our washing machine has a motor in it. Our garage door opener has a motor in it. But even though all three of those items have motors in them, they're not the same thing, are they? They're different. Just because two things are similar doesn't mean they're the same. Yes, there are some similarities between the rapture and the second coming. One of the similarities is they both involve the appearance of the Lord, but that doesn't mean they're the same thing. Think about that word coming. Dr. Ryrie uses this illustration. Suppose some grandparents are talking to their friends and they're so excited and they say, we're so excited because our grandchildren are coming for a visit next week. And then a few sentences later, they say, we're really thrilled that our grandchildren are coming for our golden wedding anniversary. Now, you could draw one of two conclusions from that comment, those comments. You can conclude that the children are coming next week to celebrate the golden wedding anniversary, and therefore the anniversary must be next week, that those grandparents are talking about the same event. Or they could be saying, We're really excited our grandkids are coming next week. And we're also excited that they're coming at a later event for our golden wedding anniversary. Just because two things are similar doesn't mean they're the same. Look, the rapture and the second coming are similar. But when we get to the second coming, we're gonna talk about some vast differences between the rapture and the second coming. Let me just point out one obvious one right now. Look at verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Where does Christ descend to at the rapture? He descends in the air. We go up to meet him, not on earth, but in the air. But at the second coming, when the Lord appears, he doesn't just appear in the air, he actually comes to earth. Zechariah 14 verse four says, on that day, his, Jesus' feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. These are two different events. The rapture begins with number one, the descent of Christ. Secondly, the resurrection of the dead in Christ is the second component of the rapture. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now who are the dead in Christ? He's talking here about the bodies of Christians who have died. When the Lord descends, the first people who will be raised will be those who have died in Christ Jesus. Exactly who are those people? Now, some people believe it is all Christians, all believers from all ages. But I believe it's not all believers. I think it's a particular group of believers, those who were a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I think the rapture is reserved for the church. Remember when believers in the Old Testament died, their spirits immediately went to be with Christ just like our spirits do. But I don't believe that the Old Testament saints or any other person other than the church is gonna receive their new body. It's the Old Testament saints that will receive their new bodies as we'll see at the second coming of Christ seven years later. The rapture, I believe, is reserved for the church age. And the Bible says at that time, that is going to be the time that the dead in Christ are going to receive their brand new bodies. All of the dead in Christ who are buried right now, all the members of the church of Jesus Christ at the rapture, suddenly the graves are going to be opened and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. When I think about that passage and I read about it, I think of a little cemetery about 80 miles north of here on I-75 in Van Alstine, Texas, is a place where my parents are buried. It's a place where my grandparents are buried. It's the place where my great-grandparents are buried. It's going to be the place where I'm going to be buried one day as well. And when I think that little plot of land up there, I think, you know, that place has been the site of some of the saddest moments of my life standing right there. I imagine some of you have a place like that too. A place where you said goodbye to your loved ones. But I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying that place, wherever it is for you, that place that one time represented defeat, one day God is going to change it into a place of everlasting victory as God has the final word over sin and death and the grave. The sadness you feel now will not be forever. The Bible says on that day, the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the great hope. Whatever separation you're experiencing right now, I'm looking out over the congregation. I can see some of you who've gone through tremendous heartache in losing that husband, that wife, that child. Whatever sadness you feel right now is only temporary. There is a day coming when God shouts out, rise, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the promise of every believer. Aren't you looking forward to that day? That's the hope that we have. Now, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just a bunch of corpses being raised. Verse 3 says, "...it will be followed by the removal of all living Christians." After the dead in Christ rise first, and look at what it says in verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Whoever happens to be alive at that time, whatever Christian happens to be alive at that time, will not experience death, but he will be immediately caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Just like Enoch and Elijah in the Old Testament, they didn't experience death. They were caught up, transported to heaven immediately. There will be a group of Christians who will never experience death. They will be raised and translated into heaven. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. At the rapture of the church, if that happens, and I believe it is, that means suddenly in an instant, millions of Christians are going to disappear from the face of the earth. Now you may ask yourself, how in the world is that going to be explained? And if such an event were to happen, wouldn't that mean everybody who's left behind would suddenly become Christians? I mean, wouldn't that naturally happen? Two responses to that. First of all, when the rapture occurs, those who are left behind are not going to recognize that it was only Christians who were taken up. You see, you and I, from a Christian perspective, We see there are only two categories of people, the saved and the lost. But unbelievers don't see it that way. And so they're not going to recognize that those who were taken away were only Christians. And one reason they're not gonna see that is, churches are gonna continue to operate after the rapture. After all true Christians are taken away, churches will continue to operate. First Methodist will operate. First Presbyterian will operate. Watermark will continue to operate. And First Baptist Dallas will continue to operate. Did you know that? And the reason I say that is in every church, no matter who, what church it is, there are both Christians and non-Christians who worship side by side. Jesus called it the wheat and the tares. Not everybody who comes to church is a Christian. Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being at McDonald's makes you a hamburger, okay? (laughs) Just being a part of a church doesn't make you a Christian. There are going to be Christians who are taken to heaven, all Christians, but there are going to be non-Christians left behind who will continue their church operation. Let me remind you, if you get left behind here at First Baptist Dallas, you get left behind with the debt as well, okay? So that's one great motivation. You don't want to be left behind, but that's not the greatest motivation. And I think because of that, because churches certainly will be smaller than they were, but many churches will continue to operate. And that's why people won't realize it's, it's uh, Christians who were taken. Secondly, and now this is conjecture, but I think it's sanctified conjecture, if you will. I believe the rapture is going to coincide with some major cataclysmic disaster in the world that is going to be used to explain the disappearance of millions of people. It may be some kind of nuclear holocaust. I don't know. But the reason I say that is because immediately after the rapture, the Antichrist rises to power. The world is going to be in such turmoil that everyone is going to be looking for a leader who can bring order out of chaos. And I believe whatever event it is that causes the antichrist to exceed the power is going to be the event that is also used to explain the disappearance of millions of people. What's going to happen at the rapture? The descent of Christ, the resurrection of the dead in Christ, the removal of all living Christians. Number four, the transformation of our bodies. You know, one question people have is, okay, at the rapture, you have all of these corpses being raised in whatever condition you can imagine. You know, how's that going to look in eternity? That's kind of eerie to think about. And then you think about your own body. You think, am I going to have to lug this body around with me for eternity? I'm not sure it's going to make it through next year. How's it going to last through all eternity? Well, Paul answers both of those questions. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Paul says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, Paul says, in answer to your question, how are these bodies ever going to last through eternity? Understand this. To inherit eternity, you need an eternal body. You can't go into eternity with a temporal body. You need an eternal body in which to spend eternity. And that's why this perishable body that we have right now cannot inherit the imperishable kingdom of God. You can't enter into heaven in your present bodies. There needs to be a transformation. And he describes that transformation beginning in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here's another one. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now what does he mean by that? He's saying we're all not going to die. There's a generation of Christians who will not experience death, those who are alive at the rapture. He said, we're not all going to die, but we all shall be changed. That is, whether you're already dead when the rapture occurs, your body's already dead, or whether you're alive, you still have to be changed. You still have to have a brand new body to inherit the kingdom of God. And that's the fourth thing that's gonna happen at the rapture. At the rapture, both the dead in Christ who are being raised, as well as those who are being snatched up to meet the Lord in there, in an instant, they're going to be changed. He says that in verse 52. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable must be put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. In a moment, there is going to be a dramatic costume change for all of us. And notice how quickly it's going to happen. It says it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, do you know what a twinkling of an eye is? It's not the blinking of an eye. It's the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is a phrase that probably refers to the amount of time it takes for light to travel from your iris to your retina in your eye. That's the twinkling of an eye. The amount of time it takes light to travel from the iris to the retina. Now, the best calculation I read this week of that amount of time is one-sixth of a nanosecond. Did you know what a nanosecond is? I I didn't until I looked it up this week. A microsecond is one one one-millionth of a second. Now that's a microsecond. A nanosecond is one one one-thousandth of a microsecond. So a nanosecond is one one one-thousandth of one one one-millionth of a second. And the time it takes light to go from your iris to a retina is one-sixth of a nanosecond. Now, that's pretty fast. And Paula says that is how fast your body is going to be changed, and you're going to receive that brand-new body from God that is free from all of the sadness, a body that is free from all of the temptation to sin, a body that is free from all of the emotional and physical suffering of this life. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Doesn't that sound great to you? That's why in Titus 2.13, Paul calls the rapture of the church, the blessed hope of the church. It is our hope. It is what we're looking forward to, the rapture of the church. For the follower of Jesus Christ, there's no need to be afraid. Even though we live in volatile times, our eternal future with God is absolutely secure. There's much more to cover in our in-depth study of the end times. And to help you understand these topics on a deeper level, I'd like to send you a copy of my book called Perfect Ending, Why Your Eternal Future Matters Today. Reports of wars, dissension, terrorism, moral decay, and economic turmoil fill the headlines every day. Many people believe the end is just around the corner. Well, even though no one knows where we are on God's clock, we do know the countdown to Christ's return has begun. And this book will answer your pressing questions about the future. To go along with my book, I'm also offering a highly practical resource called The End Times Illustrated. If you're like me, it's super helpful to have a visual representation of the end times from start to finish so that you can see with your own eyes the enormity and the chronology of God's plan for the future. So, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you'll be receiving both The End Times Illustrated and my book, Perfect Ending. Let me add a comment to those of you who have given generously and to all those who are valued Pathway partners. I can assure you, God is using your financial partnership to change lives for His glory. In fact, you're part of a growing movement all across America that's committed to this primary cause, piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. Your gifts are making a difference. So please keep it up. David?
1: Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll say thanks by sending you a copy of Dr. Jeffress' best selling book, Perfect Ending. You'll get that along with the companion book called The End Times Illustrated. To make your request, call 866 999 2965 or go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete Perfect Ending Teaching Series on both CD and DVD. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You could also send your request by mail if you'd like. Write to P.O. Box two twenty three six zero nine Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223609, 609 Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time for a message called Making Sure You're Not Left Behind. That's Tuesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffers comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.